Welcome to the Sister C Podcast, your monthly dose of sisterhood and mental health advice coming to you on the 15th of every month. My name is Joelle, and I'm a licensed therapist who is committed to fighting the stigma of mental illness. Each month, I will talk to one of my favorite sisters who has lived experience or expert insight about today's most important mental health issues. We are about to break down today's topic and provide you with some candid and practical mental health advice. Welcome to the third episode of the Sister C Podcast. Today, we are talking about everybody's favorite topic, or at least one of my favorite topics, and that is toxic relationships. This is a word that is thrown around a lot. To some degree, it's a very helpful term, and to some degree, it is not a helpful term. And so today's guest and myself will be discussing how we use this term and really break it down. In particular, we're going to compare and contrast toxic versus healthy relationships and explore several related concepts, such as codependency, trauma bonding, people pleasing, and narcissism. And so today's guest has both expert insight and lived experience. She works in a very similar profession to me as a social worker, and she is my sister Kelly, or Kel May. <laughs> so without further ado, without further ado, <laughs> welcome Kelly. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Of course. So glad to have you. So nice to see you. It's so nice to see you too. You know, I wanted to kick off this episode with talking about relationships and we have such a good relationship. So what do you think, what do you think is healthy? You know, why is our relationship healthy? I feel like with you, I'm not afraid of judgment and I feel like I'm able to be my authentic self and I don't feel that you judge me for that. That's a huge thing. Non-judgment being able to be authentic. And I feel like we've both gone to therapy and we've both worked on ourselves. Yeah. We both almost have the same sign. Our birthdays are pretty close together too. Are you a Virgo? We're both Virgos. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A healthy relationship supports you. It makes you feel good, you know, during and after your encounters with them. It brings out the best in you. Yeah, there has to be... There has to be trust and respect and boundaries. I feel like we have that. You're really good too at like, you know, after we talk, you're like, okay, I got to go to bed now. Yes, I have to have boundaries with myself. I love sleep. I love going to bed. Most of my life, I didn't have that routine and I didn't have that structure and I didn't feel as good, but I feel good when I have that. I go to bed pretty consistently around 10 for me, like going to bed at that time, you know, around 10 every night, that's a a big part of self-care, which helps me to have a good relationship with myself so I can have better relationships with other people. Such a good way to say it. Like self-care is really about a relationship with yourself. It should be more like your self-relationship. Yeah. Being good with your own word, being true to yourself and honest with yourself, having integrity with yourself. If you continually say, I'm going to do this and you don't do it, It's not good. 
it's like having a best friend who's constantly breaking promises to you mm-hmm. saying we're gonna do this today and then not doing it and I used to be like that I used to make false promises to myself all the time and then I would feel a lot of shame and, and let down towards myself for letting myself down mm. but it feels so much better if my word is good to myself yeah does that make sense yeah of course are you reliable are you reliable to yourself I feel like I am now. I feel like I am now too, but there are some ways that I wish I was more reliable to mm-hmm. myself, you know, self-reliability. Self-reliability. The more you're actually attending to yourself, the better. Yeah. That's how I build my self-love is by self-care. So what does it mean to you when someone says a relationship is toxic? An unhealthy relationship or a damaged relationship, a hurt relationship. Like when I'm in a toxic relationship, I can distinctly feel that it doesn't feel good. Absolutely. Maybe a relationship that causes harm. Because the thing about relationships is relationships are meant to support. Like that's kind of the whole reason that humans quote unquote, we're at the top of the hierarchy, I suppose, is because of our ability to form relationships and the advantages that come from forming relationships. We're probably the most social creatures on the planet. Right. Relationships are meant to support us. And when we say a relationship is toxic, it's basically the opposite of that. Oh, absolutely. What, what's your relationship with the label of toxic relationship? I feel that the word toxic or labeling something as toxic, I feel like is almost, to me, it feels very judgmental. I prefer to use the word um, trauma. They haven't healed yet. You know, hurt people hurt people. So when you have people with trauma who are untreated in relationships, they tend to hurt other people. Such a good point. Because the way that we tend to use this label of toxic is we basically use it when we're blaming someone. You know, when a relationship hasn't gone the way that we wanted it to, or when we've had a breakup, or when we're fighting with a family member, people are very quick to use the label of toxic and point the finger. Mm -hmm. And it kind of implies that that person is toxic. Even just the language, like, they are toxic. It's a very disempowering and negative label. Yeah. Basically, writing someone off as all bad. Mm -hmm. And so coming at it from a perspective of trauma is one way that we can destigmatize and that we can allow room for people to heal and for ourselves to heal. Yes. It's like saying someone is stupid, you know, as opposed to that person's acting stupid. Like saying someone is toxic. That's not who they really are. I don't believe that people are born toxic. I feel like experiences shape a person. You know, people have trauma and they develop maladaptive coping skills. People are just trying to get their needs met. And, you know, oftentimes people with trauma, they have needs that another person can't fulfill and they Mm -hmm. have to go within in order to fix it. But a lot of people will look outside themselves to other people to try to fix that trauma and act in a toxic manner, you know? Right. Really, a lot of it is fear, I believe. You know, people are not born toxic. We're just animals and we're born to survive. And people are born pure. 
And so I think for the most part, a lot of toxic relationships come about because of trauma. I find it interesting, this connection between trauma and not having your needs met. Do you think that's always the case in toxic relationships, that people have unfulfilled needs from childhood? Or do you think that relationships can be toxic without that? Can relationships be toxic with two healthy people? Yeah, it probably can happen. Maybe if there's two people that don't have the same likes and they just don't flow together, then a relationship I think could become toxic. But typically I feel healthy people would recognize that and part ways I feel like when you have two healthy people in a relationship, the relationship will be likely healthier. Right. People definitely have to do work to be healthy. But if someone is healthy, they're probably not choosing people who are incompatible with them. Exactly. I really do think there's a huge link between trauma and toxic relationships. But I do think sometimes people can fall into toxic relationships. You know, there's so many messages that we receive in society Like we receive messages that we're supposed to get married by this age and we're supposed to have a wife who looks like this or a husband who provides and all these different messages that we get. And I think sometimes we follow those messages and some people don't have trauma, but they're still following these messages and they're ending up in toxic relationships that way. Absolutely. I mean, coming from a trauma-informed place, like when we really break down the term trauma, we're not just referring to physical, like overt abuse. We're also talking about invalidation. And I think these messages that we receive from society are invalidating. So it's kind of like a spectrum. Quite literally, the statistics are 70% of people in Canada have experienced trauma. I feel like, you know, a lot of people when they hear the big T, they're uncomfortable. People Mm. don't want to associate themselves with trauma. It's not always even trauma within our lifetime. Like this entire planet has suffered many collective traumas over the millennia. And I think that we have these cycles that come about because of it. And so another thing that you made me think of when you talked about how toxic relationships come from unmet needs, it makes me think about the statistic that I came across recently, which is basically that 50% of people have an unhealthy attachment style. And I guess only half of people have a healthy attachment style. And so to me, that means that about half of everybody is toxic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying that with a grain of salt. And for those of you out there who maybe don't binge watch self-help content every single day, an insecurely attached relationship basically means that you have one of three different styles of attachment. Anxious, preoccupied attachment style, anxious, avoidant attachment style, and an avoidant attachment style. Those anxious styles are maybe somebody who may come off as needy in a relationship because they were starved for love at some point in their lives. And so they are basically really focused on having their needs met in this kind of chronic way. And then the avoidant attachment style, well, as the name suggests, are quite avoidant. (laughs) And again, it all kind of connects back to not having their needs met. And so it's not the case that there are these awful people out there who are just toxic and they're the cause of everything and 
they're nothing but toxic. <laughs> That's really not the case. Like, you know, if you're going to use the label and call people toxic, well, you're going to be calling about half of everybody toxic. So you may as well start calling yourself toxic if you're going to use that label and throw it at other people. It's very black and white. Yes. It's a very black and white way because I believe people have defects and assets, you know, Somebody may have an imbalance, but a person can work on that and change if they're willing. Absolutely. The way that we use the label of toxic basically can kind of get in the way of us being able to identify toxic features and toxic traits within ourselves. Another concept that popped out to me as I was kind of preparing for this podcast was, you know, people who end up in toxic relationships tend to struggle with self-love. Mm. Why do you think that is? Because I feel like oftentimes people who struggle with self-love were basically programmed to focus outward. If there was violence in the home, you know, any kind of trauma, even neglect, then they are focused on outwardly trying to get their needs met, but it doesn't happen. And they don't learn that self-love and abandoned their true authentic selves. Mm. And so they, they kind of tuck that person away instead of loving that person. They, you know, basically learn to be chameleons and try to be what other people want them to be and people please. What kind of environments do you think cause people to be focused on having their needs met externally instead of internally? And obviously I mentioned the big T, but again, it's like there's a lot of nuance there and there's a lot of different kinds of experiences that can cause that. Mm. If you grow up in an alcoholic home and your dad's an alcoholic, you have to be on guard and very, you know, alert to the changes that happen or any kind of domestically violent home. You learn to focus outwardly and because you're walking on eggshells and you don't want to upset that person and you're always trying to gauge the temperature of outside of yourself and you're not focused on nurturing yourself, loving yourself, asking yourself, what do I want? Instead of paying attention to yourself, you're paying attention to how other people are feeling and focusing on trying to meet other people's needs and forgetting your own. So it's kind of like if you grow up in an unpredictable environment, whether that is having an alcoholic father or having a mother who neglects you or even growing up being bullied at school. All these different experiences can lead to this imbalance that you're talking about. Absolutely. And so I mentioned that we're going to break down a couple of terms that are very common when talking about toxic relationships. So what do you think is the contribution of people-pleasing? Well, people-pleasing is a form of dishonesty. People don't always look at it that way, but really you're focusing on the other person's needs and what they want and sort of molding and manipulating yourself to be what they want. So it's like a subtle form of dishonesty, but we can trick ourselves into thinking we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart, but really we're doing it because we want the affection. We want to get our needs met. People use people pleasing as a way to get their needs met. It's a dishonest way to get your needs met. It sounds like people pleasers could even be a good thing on the surface. It sounds like people pleasers are generous. I'm sure some people pleasers out there are known as generous people. Yeah. But there's kind of a little bit of a self-focus. The fact that they're lying to have their needs met, there's a little bit of selfishness there. 
because someone's basically over-focused on other people's needs. But the reason they're so focused on other people's needs is because they care very, very much about how other people see them. Above all else, they want to make sure that people see them in a positive light. And so even though it might seem like people pleasers are not the problem or they're not selfish, I think it's a selfish thing. And so considering what I said at the very beginning, that relationships are meant to support us and it's the foundation of being human. Another way to think about toxic relationships is when that focus goes in on ourself, that's when it turns toxic. And that can happen by, you know, the other word that people use a lot, which I've tried to refrain from using, (laughs) is of course, narcissism. Just the same way that people will throw the toxic label at people they don't like, people also use that label of narcissist as well. And it's pretty obvious how narcissists are self-focused. That's, you know, that's kind of the whole definition of narcissism. But what's interesting is that narcissists, you know, take that with a grain of salt, but like the way that we say it now is that narcissists oftentimes find themselves with people pleasers. Mm. They oftentimes find themselves with codependents. And even though it might seem like, oh, well, it's the narcissist's fault. Like, they're the toxic one. No, actually, it's equally toxic to be a people pleaser. It's equally toxic to be codependent because both parties are overly focused on having their needs met instead of able to have a real relationship and a real connection. Yeah, a real autonomous relationship. People that engage in that, in people-pleasing, will often believe that other people's opinions of them matter more than their opinion of themselves and how they feel about themselves. So that matters more what the other people think and feel than what a person feels and thinks about themselves. Exactly. And that's all based on the fact that that person basically has such high levels of shame and such a lack of self-love that they put other people's opinions above their own opinion. And so, okay, codependency can oftentimes be associated with toxic relationships. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, codependency. Codependency to me is a relationship disease. Codependency is unhealthy reliance or dependence on another person to meet their needs codependency has caused a lot of pain in my life. I sought help through Al-Anon for codependency through a 12-step program. You really do have a lot of insight from Al-Anon. Yeah, I've learned a lot about codependency in Al-Anon and I've learned a lot about myself. Mm. That's really what the program has enabled me to do is to look at myself and take the focus off of everybody else and put it on me so that I can see the patterns that I've developed, the codependent patterns that I've had. It's been very much a relationship disease for me, but through healing my codependency, I've learned to love myself because I focus on myself and becoming who I am authentically. Wow. Again, I think there's just so much insight that comes from Al-Anon. I think you're the first person I ever heard use the term relationship disease. Mm. You know, you want to know what's behind toxic relationships? Well, Henny, there's a disease called codependency. (laughs) Yes. And it can kill, Mm -hmm. you know, codependency leads people to commit suicide. It's a painful thing. And some people aren't able to have relationships because it's so severe. They're not able to form close, healthy attachments with others. 
Right. There's a couple of definitions of codependency that I looked up before this. And I feel like you just said the best one ever, but I thought I might run them by you. Okay. Okay. So the definition that I looked up was as follows, where one person is invested in regulating another person Mm -hmm. in a specific way. It was coined in AA, just as we were saying, but made popular by someone named Melody Beattie. I have her book right here. That's so cool. Yeah, it's wonderful. The language of letting go. Wow. Okay, so according to Melanie Beattie, it's a reaction to toxic behavior and toxic relationships. And then I'm just inclined to also think that it's a perpetuating factor or a cause to why people end up in toxic relationships. And then more specifically, it's a response to love starvation, a response to being discarded, and of course, a product of trauma. What are your thoughts about that? Is that a good definition? Yes, that's a great definition. Because I didn't actually read this book. I just kind of looked it up and found these definitions. But I do think these insights come from Melanie Beattie and her work. Yes, she's great. Wow. Certainly this is a huge factor in why people end up in toxic relationships and why toxic relationships are so prevalent. And so trauma bonding. What is the contribution of trauma bonding? So trauma bonding would be, I feel that, In my own personal life, I've mistaken true attraction and love because that person was familiar to me and would reinforce my trauma. I get basically trauma bonding is mistaken for love Mm. and it's familiar and it's typically someone who reminds you of, of your trauma. Yeah. Like the way that some people have described trauma bonding is basically the process through which we mistake abuse for love. Yes. Basically because when we were children, there was a lot of fear. When you live in an abusive environment, there is a lot of fear. And you still have to find a way to have your needs met. And so basically, you feel these bonding chemicals of you know oxytocin and all those chemicals at the same time as you're fearful. Basically, you needed to attach to these figures who are abusing you in order to have your needs met. So it's kind of like an adaptation that helped at some point. But as an adult, basically finding yourself in abusive relationships or chaotic relationships, you're kind of subconsciously being driven to seek out these abusive relationships and chaotic relationships because that's what you associate with love. And that's what you associate with bonding. So do we think trauma bonding is always a factor when we're talking about codependency? I think Mm -hmm. often often it is. I think, yeah, you're right. Because not everybody who ends up in toxic relationships like has come from abuse necessarily, you know, and and people can have trauma and invalidation. They can experience trauma and invalidation without necessarily having that full on abuse, I guess. And so Maybe trauma bonding is at the more extreme end of that spectrum in codependency. Yes. A person can be traumatized as an adult when the relationship disease is spread. A person who is an untreated codependent will continue to spread their their relationship disease, (laughs) for lack of a better word. I think that's a perfect way to say it. Wow. Basically, you can become codependent even in adulthood, you know, if you've suffered an abusive relationship instead of just in our childhood. 
most often when people refer to trauma bonding, I think they are referring to our attachment to our earliest figures, to our earliest attachment figures. Mm-hmm. As we're talking, I feel like we're basically exploring all the different factors, very related factors. Some of them almost feel like synonyms, but all the different factors that are contributing to this culture of toxic relationships, codependency, trauma bonding, people pleasing, and narcissism, all contributing to what seems to be toxic relationships everywhere. Like a big toxic stew. Like a big toxic stew. (laughs) But I think at the core, there's one theme that runs through all of this, which is funny because it was the one thing I didn't plan to say, Mm. which is shame, which Mm. is a lack of self-love. What do you think, what is the role of shame in toxic relationships? It would be using a person to feel better about yourself, to kind of quell that shame, which no person can really do for another. This is something that I always say to my clients about shame. Shame is the emotion that we feel when we believe that we are bad. Mm -hmm. When we believe that we are unworthy, not that we've done something bad, but that we ourselves are bad and Mm -hmm. that we're entirely bad. And so shame is one of those emotions that I think is never helpful. We have these universal emotions. We have about eight or so universal emotions. Some people say eight, some people say 10, but about that many universal emotions. And included in that list is guilt, anger, sadness, fear, jealousy, envy, But shame is one of those emotions that is almost never helpful. Like maybe there are times where we are quite literally rejected or in the past, we were maybe quite literally rejected from our community. So there might be a basis to argue that shame is a universal emotion in that sense. I do think it's, so the counterpart to shame is guilt. Basically, it tells us that we've done something against our values. We've done something against our morals. And Guilt is healthy and guilt can help shape our behavior and help us change. There's such thing as toxic guilt where we feel guilt all the time. And I think really shame is this distorted version of guilt where it's not like I did something bad, but Mm -hmm. I've done something bad and now I am something. Mm -hmm. Do you think that shame is always a factor in toxic relationships and always a factor in even trauma? I would say yes. I can't think of one good purpose that shame serves. And I feel that it's very much tied to codependent relationships because you're looking to another person to make you feel better, but you're also abandoning yourself. That makes a lot of sense to me because if you believe I'm bad, I'm unworthy, I'm powerless, then you're not going to be looking inward, you know, to meet your needs. You're going to be looking outward to meet your needs. Because everything and everyone is better than me. Exactly. In these terms, they can be confusing because they're all so similar. And at the same time, they're different. But if you want to get really clear on what a toxic relationship is and why they happen, they happen because of a lack of self-love. Because we're not in touch with our authentic self, which is the very first thing that you said. And because we have shame. Yes. Now that we have really broken down what a toxic relationship is. It's time to basically talk about some practical advice. So what kind of practical advice would you give to people who are constantly finding themselves in toxic relationships? 
I would say take some time for yourself, whether you're in a relationship or not. You know, if you're not, take some time and make yourself the main focus and engage in therapy or attend Al-Anon meetings to address that, to put the focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. There's no fairy godmother that's going to come and wave a wand for someone who's struggling with self-love. Speaking from my own experience, it's a journey and it's a daily practice that I have to be aware of. And you know what I would add to that? Like you and I have focused so much on the codependency side of things because, you know, I didn't quite say this yet, but I would definitely identify more in that codependent realm. Mm -hmm. But for those people chronically finding themselves in toxic relationships, you basically want to ask yourself whether you are someone who's a bit higher in narcissism or are you someone who's higher in codependency? And by the way, it is not wrong or it does not make you bad to have high narcissistic traits. Like I said, it's basically equal to being (laughs) codependent. And so if you can identify that in yourself, then you can take steps to prevent yourself from being in toxic relationships or to prevent toxic relationships. And so the advice you gave is perfect for someone who's codependent. But for someone who is more narcissistic, they would almost have to learn the opposite. Of course, they have to do some self-growth, but they would have to learn to basically be more available to meet other people's needs. They can take a page from from the people pleasers. They can take a page from the codependents. (laughs) Yes. And frequently check their motives, like ask themselves, why am I doing this really? Mm -hmm. You know? Am I doing this because I really want to help this person or am I doing this because I want something from this person? So constantly Mm -hmm. checking motives and honest self-appraisal. Yes, exactly. Being honest with yourself. The thing is, what I don't like about the way people talk about narcissism and toxic relationships is they kind of talk about it like there's no hope. Like when you're talking about someone who is at the very extreme end of narcissism, it's hard to see the hope for sure. And certainly it is not your responsibility to change anyone. But, but that doesn't mean that there's no hope for people who have toxic traits and have narcissistic traits. One of the hardest pills to swallow when I, when I got into recovery was in part of doing the step work of the inventory, they tell us we always have a part, no matter what, like we, we always have a part. And looking at that is, it's freeing because the only person we can control is ourselves. We can't control other people. So when we accept that the change has to come from within, the sky's the limit. Exactly. The change has to come from within. Things did happen to us. Things happened to our whole planet, life is very traumatizing and more traumatizing for some people than others. And we did not choose that trauma, but we are choosing now. I feel like, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the big T, they're uncomfortable. You know, people don't like to admit that they've had trauma. I think there's so much power in being able to do that. Being able to admit that, like, I fall in the 50% of people Mm -hmm. that this happens to. I fall in the 50% of people who, you know, have toxic relationships, relationships that don't make me feel good. Really, like toxic relationships, you could even define as you are not conscious, not consciously choosing. Blame prevents us from doing that. You're kind of subconsciously choosing according to your past, 
you know, if we're pointing the finger at people and if we're blaming people, we're not taking full part in the relationship right. or taking accountability, taking responsibility. You are not consciously choosing. Mm -hmm. If you do find yourself in a toxic relationship, really important, not only not to blame the other person, but not to blame ourselves because we can, you know, I feel like for me, I can be really hard on myself and that, but just being kind, that's where it all starts is with ourselves and being kind and loving and true. Yeah. You know, when you do feel rageful and you are calling yourself a stupid idiot or you are breaking promises to yourself, like if you can look at it kind of like, hmm, I can't control every single response and impulse and feeling that I have, but I can control how... I talk back to it, to your inner child. <laughs> yeah, it's how you respond to yourself when you're not nice to yourself. It doesn't benefit to be mean back. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It just adds to the flame and adds yep. to the negative consequences in your life. And that fosters the shame. Mm -hmm. but... I would think another piece of practical advice would be whenever you find yourself going into a relationship, basically ask, would I let my child, would I want a little child that I care about to be around this person? If the answer is yes, well, maybe the relationship won't be so toxic. I actually read a poll today that said that up to 60% of women report that they've been in toxic relationships. So more than half of everyone has been in a toxic relationship. Maybe you are a healthy person falling in with a codependent or a self-absorbed type person. Whether you are someone who's chronically falling into these patterns or you're someone who's just you know, an innocent bystander, what can you do to prevent yourself from ending up in this situation? it's important to remind ourselves that we have choices for adults. You know, we choose whether or not we want to participate and to the level that we want to participate because, you know, there's times when there's people that we kind of have to, like if we have children with somebody, but we're separated, we can decide where the boundaries get set. It's so powerful to know that we have choices. We can choose to participate or not. Absolutely trying to look at these experiences in, in what we call toxic relationships, not so much as mistakes or errors, but more as learning opportunities, like looking at our decisions and choices and things as learning opportunities. Absolutely. I think so. One person who I follow, who you follow too, I think is Dr. Romani Diversala. <laughs> I'm probably not saying that right, but she is a really great resource for anybody who might be in the throes of a toxic relationship. And she's one of these people who kind of sets forth a regime of what you can do if you find yourself in the situation and you're coming to these realizations. And so she calls it a first line of defense, no contact. So mm -hmm. your first line of defense is to choose not to have a toxic relationship. Okay. Avoid toxic relationships. Whenever you see red flags, don't let something continue. Or when you do see that something is a toxic relationship, you cut it. Mm -hmm. So I guess the official term for that is no contact. Yeah. Going no contact with toxic relationships. Again, we're not demonizing the people that you are going no contact with. But for your own damn healing, you need to go no contact if you can't. If you can't, you know, there are some times that you can't. Maybe the toxic people in your life are your family members. 
or that you work with them or for whatever other reason you can't avoid them. So then your second line of defense is to gray rock, which is to be as uninteresting, as invalidating as you can, that we're not going to validate and meet the other person's needs and go out of our way to do that. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of your first two lines of defense when it comes to toxic relationships. Like, you know, we just boiled it down how you are choosing that and why you're choosing that. So mm-hmm. armed with this knowledge, do everything you can not to choose that. And then the other thing too is, yeah, sometimes um, you realize this and you can't really like do anything right away. And your line of defense in that case is to radically accept and and self-love and to just do what's best for your inner child, essentially. Do you have anything to add to that? I think another important part would be to know what you want know what you are looking for and like what are your ideal relationships with people romantic or friendships like what does that look like and even writing a list down of all the things that are important in relationships that's a big thing you know my sponsor said when you know what you want you don't waste any time so that's a big one and then also it's, it's so important that someone's video matches their audio yeah i've never heard it yeah. said like that before yeah I recently heard that and I, I really like that. <laughs> I love that. That is such a good way to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in these days, people are putting out this image of themselves that isn't real just to kind of show their peacock feathers. Mm-hmm. But what are they really doing in their day-to-day life and in their relationships in this case? You know, yeah. how are they really to be with You know, that person's going to be your person that you're going to be with, or that person's going to be your friend that you're going to invest in. They're going to be in your group. Yes, exactly. That's a big thing for me, that people walk the walk and their words match their actions. That's extremely important. So you're talking about congruence. You have to be congruent. Mm -hmm. And that you want to have your, you know, words match your actions. Yes. I have a friend who says, I listen with my eyes. And I really like that. Let people show you who they are is really important, especially in new relationships. Instead of taking it at face value or believing, you know, what people say, Mm -hmm. you have to actually see an action paired with that. Yeah. Integrity. Doing what you say you're going to do over and over again. You need to make sure the audio matches the damn video. Yes. (laughs) I love that. I could not say that better. Oh my gosh. I think we just finished our episode. Thanks for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Anytime. Thank you for asking me. I feel honored. So happy that you did this with me. You know, we talked about toxic relationships here, but I have been very lucky to have a good relationship with you mm-hmm. and to have you doing this with me right now. I love you. <laughs> love you too. What does C mean? Well, like I was saying, I'm lucky to have such a great relationship with you and Amy and Tracy before she passed away. And Mm so C is dedication to Tracy. Like the fact that it rhymes with Tracy is not an accident. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Sister C podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you found some of our ideas to be helpful. 
If you would like to chat with me or learn more about my counseling and coaching services, you can visit my website at spectrapsychology.com. Remember, no matter where you fall in the spectrum, the Sister C podcast has your back. See you in the next one.